I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 1, Episode 17. Pray. It was a bumpy and uncomfortable ride, and the old man chittered on happily behind her like old people, or crazy people do. Like when your mom or grandma keeps an entire conversation going, regardless if you're even listening. Those interminable phone calls Janet used to avoid in dread, droning on and on about the flotsam and jetsam of an old person's life, only to surface from the lily pads every once in a while to ask some prying or unanswerable personal question. Janet felt a momentary pang of sadness. Maybe she should have taken the time to talk when she had the chance, before everyone she knew was taken by the apocalypse. The old man was on a long soliloquy about the impact of humanity on the natural flow of water and how that was now being reversed as rivers and streams were allowed to make up their own minds. At least, she thought with relief, her part of this conversation was limited to an occasional exasperated sigh. She did not think he was dangerous, not directly dangerous to her anyhow. She wasn't sure if he was crazy or not, but these days they were all shades of crazy. Their minds were making up new playbooks as they went along. A couple million years of evolutionary instincts scouring away at the patina of civilization. She was not quite sure of her own sanity, but like everything else, she had buried those concerns in the business of day-to-day survival. The old man had rigged up this contrived cart from spare parts at the dig site some bicycle wheels and other bits and pieces. After he had cleaned her infected toe and treated it as best as he could, the verdict on that wasn't clear. He didn't know if he'd have to go in and take a more aggressive approach, but he recommended giving it a chance to heal to avoid losing the offending digit. They'd wait and see, but she couldn't walk much now. He thought it best to keep moving and to see if they could find some antibiotics along the way. He had bustled around the dig site, cackling to himself after exclaiming, Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a bicycle mechanic. KJ had no idea what he was on about most of the time. In the end, he was impressed with himself having thrown together a makeshift rickshaw of sorts, a wheelbarrow bucket mounted on some lumber framing with a couple of wheels. It was a cramped and uncomfortable conveyance, but it worked. She sat in the bed of the thing with her feet dangling out in front, sitting on some tarps that they could also use as tents. Two long handles jutted out the back that he held while he walked or jogged behind. 
It took some extra effort for the old man to push, but once he got the hang of it, they could make pretty good time. They kept moving, down the gravel road following the river westward towards the gulf. Bill the dog jogged out in front of them. Having rolled in something dead, he was currently ostracized from their close company and told to keep his distance. Bill froze. K.J. was the first to see him stop and come to an alert. Then she saw them, four large, unusual animals standing on the road ahead. Bill looked back at them from his alert with a questioning glance, like he was asking, What do you want me to do? The old man stopped the cart, squinted up the road, and said quite firmly, Leave it. Bill sat, looking a bit disappointed. What the heck are those? Ostriches? she asked. The old man pulled the glasses from his vest pocket, unwrapped them from their chamois cloth, and fitted them into place. He peered down the road curiously for a few seconds and corrected her. Emu. Four emu. Ostriches are from Africa. Emus are from Australia. There are no large flightless birds in North America. There's the rhea in South America, and of course the terror bird. A nasty bit of work there, but they've been gone for a few million years. She looked at him speechless because she wanted to say, What the F are you talking about, you crazy old bastard? But decided not to waste her breath as it might encourage him. Okay, emus, ostriches, big bird. You're missing my point. What are they doing here? He scratched his beard and thought. Bits of dust circled his head like a weird halo. Dunno, he finally concluded and looked at her. What say we find out, he smiled. Why don't you stay here and I'll go see? That's not gonna happen, she said with a finality that precluded any argument. As she hoisted herself upright and gingerly began moving down the road with the help of an improvised crutch. He shrugged and followed easily, pushing the empty rickshaw. The emus were skittish and retreated as K.J., the old man, and Bill approached. All at once they scattered into the brush as Bill watched their long, loping chicken legs recede with interest, hoping he'd be told to give chase. There were loud screeches coming from the trees as they continued down the road. K.J. looked at the old man with a question on her face. He met her look and said, matter-of-factly, Monkeys! K.J. kept looking at him. What, no speech about the North American monkey? Well, it's probably a howler monkey or a macaque, but they shouldn't be here either. They proceeded slowly up the road, curious and cautious. Bill stayed close to the edge of the road, head sweeping from side to side, clearly on guard and alert. Shortly, they came upon an iron pipe gate with a sign that read, Perkins Animal Park. The words were in a circus font and bracketed by silhouettes of men in cowboy hats. The old man brightened. Jackpot! If they've got animals, then they should have a way to treat them. There's a good chance there are antibiotics in there. K.J. held back. She hadn't survived this long rushing into things. Wait, she said in a tone that made people wait. What's the plan? Plan? Well, I suppose we go in and look for an admin building with a medical cabinet. What about the animals in this animal park? She asked, nodding towards a sign on the gate. The old man thought about that for a moment. Well, obviously someone's been letting them out. I suppose any lift in their cages would be mostly dead by now, right? 
We just take it slow and easy, and if we smell trouble, we leg it. He winced a bit, remembering her foot. I mean, there's three of us. We'll scare off anything that's in there. If we find some antibiotics, we can save your foot. She nodded, but looked pensive. As a predator, she was always on the alert for other predators. The old man led the way, gingerly picking his way with as much stealth as possible down the entranceway to the main park. K.J. followed, with Bill flunking out to the side. Bill was on edge. They had spent many days with him, loping along, acting casual. Now his training was coming through. He was working. Passing by the enclosures, they saw that some of the cages were open. Some were still closed with the remains of whatever had been left behind, confined for eternity. The sun was out, and the heat of the day added to the oppressive nature of the place. The smell of rot and death was thick in the air. They checked a few buildings, and to their surprise, there were remains here, too. Carcasses. And not all animal. It was hard to see exactly what happened. Everything was pretty far gone. They looked at each other and shared a new sense of discomfort as their exploration had taken a dark turn. The first buildings they passed were the customer-facing type, like gift shops and food stalls, with junk food wrappers and garbage spread around by foraging animals. Towards the back, behind the animal enclosures, was a long, barn-like structure that might be what they were looking for. As they made their way, they remained on high alert, staying close to the walls and watching Bill for a cue. For his part, Bill was really working now, like this was a familiar activity, searching buildings with the potential of hostile surprises. He would sweep along a building, stop at the corner, listen, look, and make eye contact with the old man before moving forward. Eventually, they arrived at and pushed the door open to the barn-like building. They stepped into a large open lobby of sorts. There was a counter with an office space behind it, lit by dusty sunlight slanting through the windows of the tall central peak of the structure. Rough wood barn board walls held a whiteboard, an institutional clock with its hands frozen from when the power cut out, and a calendar with an African scene of giraffes in the savanna in the sunset. The old man told Bill to sit and stay. Bill dutifully positioned himself just inside the door as a sentry. K.J. and the old man entered. Behind the counter were offices along the northern wall of the building. It got progressively more dim as they crept towards the back of the entry where the sunlight struggled to reach. Even in the dull shadows, the old man knew they had found what they were looking for a darkened room with a smattering of veterinary equipment. There was a large metal table in the center of the room. The floor was hard with speckled linoleum sloping toward the drain in the corner. The old man began rummaging through drawers and cabinets, using a hammer he had found to force some of them open. He was squinting at pill bottles in the dim light. Damn it, he cursed under his breath. Can you read these labels? We're looking for Cipro and started to spell it for C-I, but stopped when he noticed her menacing glare. Then, a low and guttural growl came from the front of the building. Bill! K.J. and the old man froze. The old man had heard that sound before, 
the day Bill came to his rescue from the pack of wild pigs. They couldn't see him, but it sounded like he was right at the main door to the building where the old man had stationed him. Something was out there. Bill's growls grew more focused. They morphed into an angry, warning bark. Something was wrong. The old man and KJ looked at each other, silently meeting each other's eyes with a look that exchanged an encyclopedia's volume of critical understanding. KJ stuffed a couple pill bottles quietly into a pocket, and they began to move towards the door. As Bill's growls and barks became more aggressive, another low and rumbling groan joined in, a thrum that you could feel in your chest as much as hear. This was the sound of something very large and very near. The old man peered through the small window in the office door and saw what the dog was warning them about. A large lioness had entered the main building and was coming in their direction. They were trapped. As the old man watched, Bill reacted. He barked aggressively, making a move to attack the lion that looked to be five times his size. Bill lunged, stepped back, then made a flanking move and zigzagged by the lion. Bill was trying to distract the predator and draw her away. The lioness appeared surprised. She lunged and swiped at him, but he stayed out of reach. Realizing that the dog was no match for the big cat, the old man shouted through the door, Leave it! And indeed, Bill halted his dervish-like harassment of the lion and backed away a few paces, staring at her, hackles raised, growling and baring his teeth. Momentarily, Bill and the lion circled each other like boxers in a ring. The lion stopped. She made a huffing sound and slowly turned in the direction of the old man. She could come back for the dog later. She had other, easier prey on her mind. KJ and the old man could hear the low rumbling groan of the lion vocalizing outside the office door. The old man eased the door closed as quietly as he could until it latched. He hissed a low whisper. This isn't going to hold. We have to get out of here. KJ had seen the lion too. She motioned to the old man and jumped with her good foot up onto a counter. The rumbling growl was just outside the door now. KJ reached up and grabbed one of the barn rafters and swung herself up. Come on, she hissed. The door rattled and there was that huffing, snuffling sound with more urgency and menace now. Bill's frantic and harassing barks kept up from further away, adding to the frenzied cacophony. The old man scrambled up on the counter as well, following KJ's lead. There was a bang, and the door buckled as the lion jumped against it. It wasn't going to last much longer. The predator was hunting them. Remembering the carnage they had seen as they entered, it was becoming obvious that this big cat had taken all the easy prey. The emus and some tree-climbing monkeys had escaped. But the lioness also had her million years of evolutionary imperatives. Hunting ground-dwelling mammals was one of those. After the apocalypse, this lion had reestablished itself at the top of the local food chain. The old man stood on the counter and reached, but couldn't get enough of a grip to pull himself up to the raptors. KJ swore and reached down a long arm, grabbed him by the back of his shirt and jerked him up just as the hunting lion broke through the door. The lion took two strides and jumped at them, sending bottles, containers, and equipment clattering from the counters. The two survivors clung to the roof beams with their hearts racing, breathing hard from the effort of climbing and the shock of becoming prey. They could smell the pungent smell of the beast as the lion sat below, staring intently at them, ears back, tail twitching on the floor. I guess that's what we get for not paying admission, 
the old man gasped jokingly. KJ gave him an evil stare. We have to get out of here. She nodded towards the vent at the end of the roof. That way. The big cat circled below, energy dissipating in frustration as she watched her prey escape along the rafters to an eave at the western end of the building. When they got to the far eave, KJ pushed out the aluminum grating and managed with some effort to reach up and pull herself onto the roof. She helped the old man up too. The lion circled below, watching for an opportunity. The lion sat preening herself on a grassy embankment, watching them on the roof as if to say, I've got all the time in the world. Well, that was something, the old man mused. No shit, Sherlock. KJ gave him a hard look like she wasn't interested in any more words from him. He swallowed a biblical reference about Samson and Delilah that had popped into his mind. KJ spat in the direction of the lioness and stretched out on her back to look at the hazy southern sun. And there they sat, not knowing what to do. It was quite a scene. Cicadas squeaked their lazy violins. Osprey rode thermals over the river, looking for fish. And two lost primates perched precariously on a barn roof. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back, my survivor friends. So, here we are in the apocalypse. We have our two protagonists trapped on a roof. And don't you just feel like that sometimes, like you're trapped on a roof in the apocalypse? I'm coming to you here from a cold and rainy Memorial Day weekend. It's more like Northumbria than New England where I am. And I hope you're all enjoying the story. We're up to 8,500 downloads, and believe it or not, we've managed to knock out 17 episodes, which, back of the envelope, is around 42,500 words. So you see how that works? You put together a couple of thousand words every couple of weeks, and before you know it, you got 42,000 of them. And my plan at this point, and plans always can change, so at this point is to find... A good place to stop in the next two or three episodes and end that as season one. But don't worry, I won't go away. Might take a couple weeks off, but I'll be—I'll keep it, keep it going. 
into Season 2. I'm going to turn the existing words, the existing content, the existing audio into a book set is my plan. So if you think about it, this all makes sense. I've already got the content built, so I might as well just leverage it into a book, an ebook, an audiobook. It's pretty easy these days to self-publish, and I've done it before a couple times on both Amazon and Audible. And of course you, yes you, can help. First, I've started a Facebook group called After the Apocalypse, all one word. And you can go there and chat with other survivors and give me some feedback. And second, while you're there... You can help me vet some cover ideas, looking for book cover ideas. And third, I'm going to need a launch team when I get around to releasing these booky things, so you can help me with that. And finally, as always, you can help me survive by dropping a nickel in the the slot of the Patreon Nickelodeon over on my Patreon page. And also telling a few science fiction geek friends about the podcast, yada, yada, yada. So, I have been watching and reading. I am a ingester of interesting science fiction as well, so I've been doing a lot of that over the last few weeks. And the first one I'd like to tell you about, I'm going to add value here. I'm going to give you something by giving you a short directory of science fiction that we've sampled over the last few weeks. Save you the effort. So first I watched the new Netflix apocalypse movie, Army of the Dead. And I won't spoil it for you, but it was pretty disappointing. And I really like Dave Bautista, especially his role as Drax, the Destroyer, in Guardians of the Galaxy in those movies. But he, even he, couldn't save this one. So, yeah, caveat emptor. Uh, But secondly, and on a much more positive note, the new season of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix was incredibly good. And this is a series of animated shorts, but they're all incredibly robust, standalone stories, each with a beginning, a middle, and an end. For example, The Drowned Giant, based on a story by J.G. Ballard, is an amazing and thoughtful piece that speaks volumes without having to say much. Another one called Snow in the Desert, based on a story by Neil Asher, was a really good apocalyptic story. I would pay real money to go and see a movie treatment of this, of these characters, of this universe. And it's a shame that there's only eight episodes of this new season of Love, Death, and Robots, but it's worth it. So go watch that. But moving along down the short fiction video quality scale is a channel on YouTube called Dust. It's a whole bunch of short science fiction videos. Some are better than others. Some seem almost like trailers for the movie that the artist wanted to make, but didn't have the money for the full-length film. Uh, But what they're lacking for in quality, uh, they make up for in quantity, There's a lot of them. And if you're really brave or really bored, you can meander into the sci-fi shorts on Vimeo. Some of these have promise, but many of them look like high school computer graphics projects gone awry. I also finished reading a book, David Brin's Sundiver from 1980, 
This is the first novel in his Uplift series. And the premise of the Uplift, this universe, the Uplift universe, it's a cool premise. All intelligent life in the galaxy only exists because some previous older race uplifted them. And mankind is treated mostly derisively by the rest of the intelligent life in the universe because they don't know who their parent race was, or even worse, they uplifted themselves by accident. That's unheard of. Mankind, in turn, once they have the knowledge of these other more advanced alien races, they start uplifting species themselves, like dolphins and chimps. And Bryn is a real-life, real-accomplished astrophysicist, and this makes his prose and the science fiction nice and tight. None of that magical fantasy stuff to make things work. All the future tech is well thought out. It could work. And this was a drop-back read for me, actually. I found his second book a few years back, the second book in this series at a book sale, and I really liked it, and I liked it enough to go back and read the first book. Good book, this first book, worth a read, but at close to 400 pages, it took a fair amount of concentration for me to get through it, and that's probably more a comment on my life and my attention span than on Bryn's work. So, there's my tips for you this week. As I said before, come on over and join us on the Facebook page and say hi. Would really love to get to know you. And get ready for the end of Season 1 and the beginning of Season 2. We'll have a big party. But above all else, my friends, keep surviving. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 